Here's Jose. Three seconds. Gives it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. It's five seconds. DeRozan on the drive. A kick from the corner. Van Vliet. Van Good. A two. The Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Hey, Adam. How's it going? What's going on, Mike? How are you doing? Uh, I would be better if the Raptors didn't just get blown out by the Orlando Magic in a game that I don't think anyone saw coming. It's one of those games that you just kind of have to wipe away from your memory as like a late December, uh, just kind of whatever kind of game and just hope that these this trend of injuries and uh, mishaps don't continue. Right. I'm, I'm less concerned about the game itself. Toronto shot the ball horribly, particularly within the arc. And part of that has to do with Orlando being a good defensive team. They're long, and they have a lot of guys who kind of get into you defensively. But I'm more concerned on the overall trend of the Toronto Raptors over the past 11 games, and I guess it will just start there. Toronto has really been bad since the start of December, and obviously they've been banged up, and Kyle Lowry's missed a lot of time. Jonas Valanciunas is now out with a wrist injury. And Kawhi is hit or miss on whether he's going to play, not playing back ends and back-to-backs. But they dealt with injury concerns like this really throughout the entire season. What do you think is different over the past month that has caused the Raptors to kind of fall into this tailspin? I think the the key here is that a lot of the injuries <clears throat> that they're suffering are from sort of key role players and key players on their team. Um, I don't want to downgrade Kyle Lowry to a role player. He's much more than that. But when you see him absent for long stretches at a time, it's going to take a toll. Like you're relying on a guy like Fred Van Vliet to sort of be that playmaker, that creator. Um, I don't think he's nearly as efficient as that at that uh, as Kyle is. And moreover, you have to sort of give DeLon some uh, extra minutes, and it's just not conducive to the team. It's not really how they're built um, they're good, don't get me wrong, they're solid players, but they're not capable of carrying the load and uh, leading the team and being, like, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, the quarterback of the team, like Kyle Lowry is. <clears throat> also, when you have JV out for long stretches at a time, that's going to become apparent because now you're relying on Serge to, like, sort of play a little bit more minutes, and I think the decrease in minutes has sort of benefited him. That's why you saw him have this explosive first half or first couple months of the season. And you're also relying more on Greg Monroe, which isn't really any team's idea as a good thing. So when you had these players that are absent, you're going to start seeing bruises and the cracks in the pavement. You touched on a lot of things there. One of the things that you talked about was the Fred Van Vliet taking over for Kyle Lowry. And you're right, as far as a natural playmaker, Fred Van Vliet's just not at Kyle Lowry's level. And you see that with a starting unit, Fred Van Vliet's not quite as great as Lowry. Danny Green's not a natural playmaker. Kawhi Leonard, for all of his skills, playmaking is not at the top. That starting unit really lacks the type of playmaking you need from a starting five when you're going against you know, some of the best uh, defensive lineups that the opposing team has. And then with the bench unit, DeLon Wright, it's kind of become clear over the past 14 games and really throughout his career, I just... I don't think he's capable of handling the primary playmaking roles without another point guard alongside him. He can certainly be a secondary playmaker, and he can roll, pick, run pick and rolls and do some things. 
However, if you're relying on him to really initiate all of the second unit's offense, I think you're going to have some struggles. I agree. And let's not uh, kid ourselves here. Like When you have a bench unit that primarily consists, when healthy, primarily consists of DeLon and Fred Van Vliet, that's good enough. Like It's not ideal, and it's not uh, something that I'd like to run out there for long stretches of time. But the two of them on the floor at the same time is good enough. Now, with Kyle Lowry hurt, you're having Fred Van Vliet running with the starters, and you can't really have him play like you, all, all four quarters. You just can't. So when you have DeLon and someone like, I don't know, Lorenzo Brown, that's no one's idea is a good thing. Like, it's just not. And it really exposes the lack of depth on this team right now or a lack of sufficient depth on this team when you have players out uh, that are considered essential. Like, let's not forget. Let's let's uh, remind ourselves here that Norman Powell is not injured, but he's, he was absent due to, the, to a loss in the family. It's understandable. But when you remove these players from games, you are going to cough up games against kind of bad teams like Orlando. Like, there was not a single player on the Raptors yesterday that was in the plus column. Not one. And that speaks loudly to, like, the lack of depth and how this team needs to sort of pick it up. Um, Like, last night's loss was – it told me a lot because, I don't know, I know there were a lot of shots that just didn't go down. But there was a lot of bad decisions that, that occurred on the floor, and it just, I don't know, it, it bugged me till no end. One thing that I think we've seen with Kyle Lowry out and we've seen really throughout the season is this team lacks playmaking. DeMar DeRozan was one of the team's leaders in assists last year. I believe he was second ahead of Fred Van Vliet even. Um, I might be slightly off on that. But he was one of the guy, the team's main playmakers, and this team traded him and Jakob Pertl for Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, and you received upgrades from both those players. However, you did receive a downgrade in playmaking. And if you look at the stats this season, they're down in passes, they're up in isolations, they have less less assisted baskets than they did last season. Is playmaking something that you're worried about this season? Is it something that you think needs to be addressed at the trade deadline, or is that just more of an internal development as you get more comfortable playing with one another? I think it has a lot to do with the latter. I think the team needs to have a little bit more time to mesh and gel and to develop chemistry. Um, I've flirted a little bit with possible trade scenarios on the trade machine. And honestly, if I'm not giving up someone like Monroe or CJ, I'm not comfortable with really trading any of the the bench pieces. Um, And I don't know a team that would really want to acquire guys like CJ or Monroe. So in regards to the trade, scenario i just don't know what you'd be able to give up to really give this team a sufficient upgrade um i I just think it's going to take time i know like a lot of people don't like hearing that but it is approximately just a little bit over two months into the season um really things don't start to click in terms of like historically here until just around the all-star break if this continues into february then i'll be a little bit more concerned and then i think the raptors need to do something a little bit more drastic as to trying to make a trade, trying to push for someone to help give this team a little bit more of a boost. Well, and you mentioned it's been a couple of months. It's also been a couple of months with you missing large portions of your lineup throughout it. So it's not only been a short period of time, it's been a period of time where you're not sure if you're getting the same unit from night to night and really not sure if you're having the same 12-man or 10-man rotation from game to game. It's true, and I don't I don't know the specific stat, 
but the Raptors lead or are one of the leading teams in the league that has a, a different starting lineup night in and night out. It, it's I, I want to say it was like maybe 14 or 15 different starting lineups. I'm not sure of the specific number, but it's high. And it's it's something that I, I know Nick Nurse wants to be fluid with his rotations. I know like he likes to uh, set out his starting lineup based on matchups. But when you have injured players, you're kind of in a stranglehold and you can't really have that sort of freedom. Now it's sort of a necessity that he has to pull out these starting lineups and to really push for different players because really a lot of the players on this team aren't getting it done as it is. So when Kyle Lowry is healthy, when JV is healthy, hopefully Siakam's injury isn't that much of a concern. Hopefully Fred Van Bleet's injury from last night isn't that much of a concern. Once these things sort of push through and you have a healthy Raptors team, I think then you're going to see it set and settle, and you're going to see them really push the needle into the second half of the season. And it's been a fine line this season with, with Nurse of trying different lineups and seeing what works. I was a big, uh, I would say, critic of the five-man units last season because I thought it just lacked flexibility once you got into the postseason and needed to make adjustments based on a series-to-series basis. I'm happy that Nurse is experimenting with different lineups so far this season and trying different things. However, at some point, you would like to see a little bit of a consistent rotation to help the team find a, a rhythm and a chemistry between the two or the different units that he's putting out there. Yeah, and I think that, again, that will come once the team is healthy. Like, when the small times that you had a fully healthy team, um, it, it consists of a lineup of Siakam, Lowry, Kawhi, uh, Danny Green and one of Surge or JV based on the matchups. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the fluid situation between JV and Surge, like kind of flip-flopping them because I think it benefits them both. I think you're you're keeping Surge from becoming fatigued and sort of pushing himself, and you see the cost of that into the playoffs. You saw it last year how he was sort of like dragging his knees and he had cinder blocks for hands. So I'm trying. I would like Nick Nurse to sort of avoid that as much as possible because if we can have a fresh and, you know, sort of healthy Serge Ibaka going into the playoffs, I think that's going to pay dividends for the Raptors. And once this team is healthy, I think you're going to see a, not sort of a set rotation, but you're going to see a consistency in how Nurse operates the starting lineup. That's a good point. I, I've been a fan of the switching centers, starting centers, based on game to game. One, I think coaches would be better off doing this more often playing to the matchup that suits them when you're talking about your fourth and fifth options. A lot of times playing it based on the matchup is a smarter decision. However, logistically, a lot of players like to know if they're starting or coming off the bench. So I understand why that's a little bit better in theory than it is in practice. I also think that bringing JV and allowing him to start a couple games is just a way to keep morale right. JV's been a starter his whole career, and this is a way to shift him to the bench, but at least give kind of throw him a bone every once in a while and keep him happy by giving him the occasional start in a regular season that, while I wouldn't say it's meaningless, is certainly less valuable than the end game, which is the postseason. It's true, and I, and there are, don't get me wrong, there are multiple times this season so far that JV has come off the bench, and it was very frustrating to see. Um, there's something about that bench unit that I don't really think meshes that well with JV, and I think he does uh, have a little bit more chemistry with the starting unit, specifically Kyle Lowry, how he feeds him on the pick and roll. I think that benefits uh, JV a little bit more. 
But the catch-22 is I don't really think Surge is conducive with the bench unit either. So if you're going to choose one of them, I think the lesser of two evils would have Serge Ibaka starting more games than JV. And I think you're onto something. I think that having JV start, uh, you know, here and there might be a result of morale and might be a result of like trying to keep people happy. But at the same time, there is there are certain games and a lot of these losses in particular within the past 10 games uh, where JV would have been a, a very much needed addition for this team had he been healthy. So what have you learned from JV's absence as far as less about the team surviving his absence here as it starts to kind of end his as JV starts to come back, I want to focus less on the time without him and more on the time when he comes back. Is there anything that we've learned for the playoffs or otherwise about this team during JV's absence? I think that, uh, I mentioned this before, I think it's really crucial to the success of both Surge and JV to have them healthy at the same time. Um, I think the Raptors are exposed with their lack of big man depth when one of them isn't playing. Um, there's only so much that Siakam can do when he plays those those uh, sporadic times at the five. There's only so much success that you can expect with him there. Um, Boucher, although like exciting, I don't know that the sample is large enough for us to sort of, I don't know, rely on him to play extended minutes henceforth. I know a lot of people last night, the knee-jerk reaction to that loss is have, oh, Boucher should be playing uh, at the three or the four more often now. Forget about Monroe. I'm not really comfortable with that just yet. I would like to see him get a little bit more of a run, but I'm not really comfortable giving him extended minutes quite yet. I think there's something to be said about that. I think the lack of big man depth on this team is a concern, and I think it's something that the Raptors are going to have to address. But like I said, when it comes to the trade deadline, I just don't know who you're going to have to give up. So that is one of the things that concerns me the most, even with a healthy JV, even with a healthy Serge Ibaka. The lack of big man depth on this team is a huge concern for me, and I think that's going to speak loudly in the playoffs. I'm with you. If one of them were to get hurt for the playoffs, if you saw either Serge Ibaka or JV miss significant time during the playoffs, or even if they're banged up a little bit, I would expect Toronto to play more small ball with Pascal Siakam at the five than play Greg Monroe legitimate minutes against a top-tier Eastern Conference team. What do you think? I don't hate it. It's just not something that I love either. But it's out of necessity, so it's sort of one of those situations that you don't really have a better option. Um, I think Siakam at the five, you would have to, I don't know, that makes me extremely uncomfortable. That You would have to rely a lot on your shooters and hopefully that they hope to God that they're on. Because we're seeing right now, I think this is another concern with the Raptors, the lack of legitimate shooters on this team that can consistently be productive that's also being exposed right now. And I'm hoping it's just a small slump. I'm hoping it's something that they can break out of and once healthy that they can be uh, a better shooting team. But that was a huge concern with me coming to the season and a lot last season. Like last season, you saw this birth of this new quote-unquote culture change and this new style of play that they were going to exhibit. And last season, I had the concern, hmm, they don't really have the shooters to do that. Now this year, yeah, you're adding Kawhi and Danny Green, but again, with a – with a hurt Kyle Lowry, I just don't know that you can rely on these shooters night in, night out. I, I just don't know that playing small ball is a recipe for success for the Raptors. 
when we talk about shooters, there's been a lot of guys this season that have shot below their career averages. You talk about Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, CJ Miles, obviously, and DeLon Wright are all shooting below their career averages. Fred Van Vliet is still underneath what he was shooting last season, even if he's been improved over the past couple games. And OG Ananobi also is shooting significantly worse than last season. I've long been a proponent that this is a small sample size and we need to let this play out further into the season. But as we approach the midway mark of the season, it becomes less a small sample size and more a significant number to look at. Is there any kind of optimism from you that the shooting will start to turn around from these guys shooting significantly worse than they have over the course of their career? Or do you think that it's time that we just kind of accept these guys as lesser shooters than we thought they were coming into the year? Well, I do have optimism when it comes to Fred Van Vliet. I think that he's just a victim of bad luck, you know, in the beginning of the season or towards the beginning of the season, he had that bad toe injury. And then once that sort of subsided, you saw him start to get his legs back underneath him and you sort of started to see his numbers kind of trickle up just a little bit. But now with that shoulder injury and that's sort of, you know, a huge concern for me, um, I just don't know that he can be productive on a consistent basis. Kyle Lowry and Danny Green are really the only two shooters on this team from beyond the arc that I feel comfortable giving the green light to no matter what. I know Kawhi has been good at, you know, from beyond the arc, but his game is more of the inside and how he bodies himself in to the paint to try to draw that foul. I think that's where he's more successful. There aren't really a lot of, you know, good three-point shooters on this team. Like right now, the Raptors are ninth in attempts in three-point shooting, and they're near the bottom in percentage. They're at the 20, they're ranked 22nd in percentage at 34%. That's not good. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of these players on the team, you have like guy like CJ Miles, who is really struggling from beyond the arc, really bringing that three-point percentage, that team three-point percentage down. And he's one of the guys off the bench that you rely to be the, that spot shooter from beyond the arc. Same thing with uh, DeLon Wright. You mentioned this on Twitter earlier. He's passing up on a lot of good shots, and he's really second-guessing on a lot of wide-open threes. And it's becoming a real big concern because this isn't something new, right? This has been something that's been prevalent in his game since last year. He passes up on wide-open looks, and he's really trepidatious. So if the Raptors aren't going to have these consistent three-point shooters, it's not going to be a recipe for success. And I do have some sort of optimism that once Kyle Lowry is healthy, he'll be able to, you know, sort of help the Raptors in that aspect. But in regards to the rest of the team, I don't know. There's really not a lot of room for optimism there. I know I sound like a Debbie Downer, but I don't, I'm just calling it how I see it. No, you're right. And the DeLon Wright thing is really weird to me. You would think in a contract here he would be more inclined to shoot. And so far this season, we've always seen DeLon be a little too passive for my liking, at least. And early this season, it's really ratcheted up to another level of just blatantly not attempting open shots. And that's something that just kills the spacing of your offense and kills the flow of your offense. When you're setting up these plays for DeLon Wright to shoot the corner three, he has to shoot those, and very rarely do you see a player pass up an open shot and the team continue to work it around to get a better look. Um, one thing that you also mentioned is C.J. Miles. He's been absolutely awful this year. He's shooting 27% from three, which is, I mean, that's absolutely horrendous, especially for a three-point shooter. 
I've long been in the camp that I think he's going to figure it out. He's been a good three-point shooter his whole career. I'm not sure why it would have fallen off so far this season. He's 32 years old, or he's 31 right now. That shouldn't be enough to totally derail you. It's not like you're falling off a cliff athletically, and it's not like C.J. Miles totally relied on his athleticism that much anyways. Is it time to seriously consider pulling C.J. Miles from the rotation completely? We saw him receive a uh, DNP coach's decision against Miami on Wednesday. How much longer do you think he has on the rotate in the rotation if he doesn't continue to perform? I think that, you know, given the fact that Norman Powell was absent last night, had Norm been there, I don't think uh, CJ would have played much, if at all. Um, I think CJ, the problem is, is, and I don't want to pin this on Nurse, but again, when the Raptors are fully healthy, or even when they're not, he plays this weird four position that he's just not built for. And I think that, you know, I, a lot of people don't want to talk about uh, Pascal Siakam and playing with the bench, but I think it would do a lot of good if, you know, again, assuming full health, if Pascal Siakam moved into the bench and OG moved into the starting lineup, now you can have Pascal play this four and you can move CJ to the three, which I think would really space out the floor and would benefit a guy like CJ Miles tremendously, um, especially when it comes to his three-point shooting. But as things stand right now, I'm not in the camp that I'm optimistic that that three-point percentage is going to trickle up. 27% is abysmal, and when you ha- that's what he's built for. He's specifically on this team to take threes. He's not. You, you see that he just lacks that explosiveness in his game when he tries to drive to the rim. Very more often than not, it's not successful, and more often than not, it's really ugly and it's cringeworthy. So when you have him play this weird four position, it's just not doesn't doesn't fit him well enough. And I think that the Raptors would be better off if they plan on using him like more in the future. I think he'd be better off if he sort of played that three position and had someone else at the four to stretch out the floor. If it's that, that's not going to happen. I just don't see how he's going to get any better. I'm with you. Uh, something that we talked about is the lack of playmaking with a second unit. That's something that I think you're starting to see trickle into CJ miles game. And it's part of the reason for his three point percentage. Now a deeper look at the tracking data on NBA.com shows that he's just missing open shots as well. He's shooting worse from on open shots, wide open shots, contested shots, pretty much any type of jumper. CJ Miles is shooting worse this season. However, he is shooting less catch and shoot jumpers and more jumpers off the dribble this season. I think partially that has to do with the playmaking. And when you're talking about playmaking, I don't think it's ridiculous when you talk about Pascal Siakam moving to the bench and OG Ananobi moving into the starting unit lineup. I think that would help pretty much every player on the roster with maybe the exception of Pascal Siakam. You talk about OG Ananobi, it would allow him to kind of slide back into that high or high highly efficient low usage role. It would provide some second playmaking to the bench unit which they are lacking right now. I think the Pascal Siakam for OG Ananobi switch makes sense. The only thing I worry about is the spacing with Pascal Siakam and JB on the court. Although, perhaps at this time, it's worth kind of overcoming that one worry to see the other benefits of Pascal to the bench. Yeah, and Nurse has been, you know, vocal about how he wants to be flexible with the lineups that we talked about at the jump of the show. Um, I do think that when you have OG in the starting lineup, I know a lot of people don't like talking about intangibles because they are immeasurable. 
But there is something to be said about his confidence. And I think that you saw that, again, small sample size, but I think that you saw that in the game against Cleveland in Toronto just recently. I think that when you have him in that starting lineup, I think it brings out the best in him. And I think there's a switch that turns on in him that he really wants to push. And that's three really solid defenders that you have on the floor at the same time. You have an OG and an OB, you have a Kawhi Leonard, you have a Danny Green, all at the same time. And I think that helps the team on the defensive end. I don't expect him to have these explosive offensive games if he's inserted into the starting lineup, night in and night out. I don't expect that at all, but I think it would benefit the team more. And I think that in the small samples that you've seen uh, Pascal on the bench, the bench has had this like sort of burst of energy that was missing. When you have Pascal, like his game is relying on his speed, and it really benefits him. And when you have like such a small unit for the bench and have that speed aspect inserted into that, I think it benefits the bench tenfold and i think that when you it, he's also ha- has this chemistry already developed with guys like fred van vliet guys like delon Wright. and when you insert him into the bench i just think it benefits everybody i think there's a, a huge plus for the bench when it inserted i'm not really concerned with him and jv uh, and as the big men on the on the bench i think that if anything the pros would outweigh the cons yeah, you mentioned OG and Anobi. Partially, I agree with your confidence statement. I also agree with the fact that I think OG and Anobi on offense is a highly dependent talent right now, and that he doesn't generate a lot of looks for himself. He's largely catch and shoot. He can attack off the closeout a little bit, but it's not like you're using OG and Anobi to run a pick and roll. Pascal Siakam, however, is more of kind of a creator himself. He doesn't need other players to create for him. So as you move OG and Anobi, he can rely on the more talented starting unit while Pascal Siakam is given more of an opportunity to create in that second unit and kind of handle the ball a little bit more. Pascal is averaging 30 minutes per game right now. If you move him to the bench, it's tough, but not impossible to keep him at that 30-minute mark. You're really going to have to be strict if you're nervous about managing rotations and making sure that you're getting him in at the right time if you're trying to hit 30 minutes from the bench. It's kind of difficult. We've seen it happen before with guys like Lamar Odom and things like that for the Los Angeles Lakers. However, it will be a concern. I More likely than Pascal Siakam moving to the bench is something that we've seen kind of lately. I think that Nurse is going to stick with this early substitution for Pascal Siakam and at least taking him out at the five-minute mark prior to anybody else and allowing him to sub back in with the bench unit where Maybe he's still getting the nominal start, but in many ways, OG Ananobi's playing the larger minutes with the starting unit, and I think that's at least a step in the positive direction. Yeah, and let's not, you know, let's not forget this isn't something that needs to be set in stone, right? This is just to sort of get people or get members of this team rather get their confidence up, right? And so when you have players, if if Pascal is inserted into the bench role and everyone's healthy. You have Fred VanVleet, DeLon Wright, C.J. Miles, Pascal, and J.V. This spaces out the floor, like a lot. And if you have these floor stretchers minus J.V. in at the same time, you can have these. I know the Raptors love to make that extra pass. If you make that extra pass and you free up guys like C.J. Miles and those shots start to fall, now these, this confidence is starting to boost up. Now the team is becoming more successful. And if DeLon Wright doesn't pass on these open looks and takes the shot and they start to fall, again, this is a recipe for success. So once this, once the confidence is boosted up and once the 
the the shooters on this team start to get their legs underneath them, you can sort of fiddle with it a little bit more, right? Because sort winning cures everything for this team. And if if you have these players that are just you know substituted or inserted into different spots on, in the rotation, even if just for a little bit, just to, for for the sake of confidence, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. Well, and we talk about Pascal moving to the benches. It's this big change, and it certainly has. He started almost every game this season. However, in many ways, I think they kind of just fell into this rotation. OG Ananobi missed a lot of the preseason uh, due to the death of his father. Obviously, that's more important than the basketball and very upsetting, but Pascal Siakam kind of just fell into that starting unit, and he was playing so well it was impossible to take him out. But I think to start the season, Nurse's original plan was to kind of rotate those guys very similar to the center position, dependent on matchup, and then Pascal Siakam's play made him become the starter early on. Yeah, for sure. And you saw that last year, too, right? Last year, they had Norm in inserted into the starting lineup, and when he got hurt, I want to say it was his hip against Boston last year, uh, OG was sort of inserted into that starting lineup for the remainder of the year, and the lineup was successful. So, I don't know, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's something to the notion that OG is more successful and the team is more successful or rather that unit is more successful with OG inserted in the starting lineup and have Pascal on the bench. Like when, when mentioning this or discussing this with other people, it's sort of viewed as an indictment on Pascal. It's not at all. It's, it's not at all an indictment on Pascal or his abilities. It's just a recipe for the team to be more successful and have that stability in the bench unit that is sorely lacking. I totally agree with you. Uh, so another thing that's happened over the past 14 games is the Raptors have been 500 since the start of December is they've now actually moved behind Milwaukee. Technically, they're still a half game up in the standings. However, in the loss column, which is much more important for teams at the top of the standings, they are now behind Milwaukee. They're also behind in winning percentage. How important do you think that number one seed is for Toronto? And how much would you value kind of chasing that number one seed as opposed to resting the starters and everything like that for the postseason. It's not important to me at all. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's just not. Uh, we finished first in the Eastern Conference last year, and it didn't do us any good. And I know, like, the LeBron James factor was huge in, you know, the playoffs and the performance, but I don't really put a lot of stock in where the team is finishing if they finish, like, perhaps outside the third seed, then I'm a little bit more concerned. But when it comes to the first seed, you're, I understand home court is important. I get that. But, you know, the playoffs, that's all I care about. Like, it, it, I'm not looking to try to finish in a certain seed to avoid playing a certain team or trying to chase a certain team for the first round. I don't care about any of that. The regular season, to me, if I've learned anything from following this team – I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it's not nearly as uh, imperative to me as a playoff run. Once I don't care where they finish. All I want to see is a solid playoff performance because if this team is playing at their full potential, I have no doubt that they can beat anybody. It doesn't matter who they play in the playoffs. As long as they're playing at their full potential, they can beat anybody, and it won't matter. I'm with you. I also agree. To me, the kind of cutoff point is that third seed as opposed to the fourth seed. When you're in the fourth seed, there's five teams at the top of the Eastern Conference right now. The Bucks, Raptors, Pacers, 76ers, Celtics. 
when you're in that four or five seed, that just provides three tough series for you, which I think is substantially different than playing two tough series. So for me, as long as they're in the top three seeds, I'm not too worried. However, if they drop to that fourth seed where you have to play perhaps the 76ers, the Celtics, and the Bucks all in one playoff series, I, or one playoff uh, setting, I just think that's a lot to ask to have three difficult series as opposed to two. So to me, the number one seed, like you said, it's not that important. I'm more focused on the postseason. However, I do think there's kind of a distinction between being the three seed and being the four seed. Oh, I agree. That's why I said that if they finished outside the third, then I'd be a little bit more concerned. Um, I don't see the Celtics really pushing that much more than they've already had. I think what we see from them is what they are. Um, that's not to say that they'll finish as the fifth seed. I, it wouldn't surprise me if they sort of propelled to the fourth or maybe even third at best. But I think right now the two top teams in the East are the Bucks and the Raptors. I don't see the Raptors falling out of the second seed at worst. So if if we're talking about a second seed versus a first seed in the playoffs, I don't really care. Like it it doesn't. It, it's sort of like a been there, done that. Like we've gotten the first seed before. Great. Didn't do us any good. So let's just aim for success in the playoffs rather than seeding. I don't think the the name of the game here for Nick Nurse is chasing the first seed. I just think he's trying to – I don't even think it's win count either. Like I think people sort of obsess over that 60-win mark. I don't really care. Like all I care about is success in the playoffs. That's it. And you've seen Nurse take that stance as well. Obviously Kawhi hasn't been playing in the second – have a back-to-backs. I'm not certain. I'm certainly not a doctor. If I had to guess, I would believe that Serge Ibaka would be fine to play those games if those were playoff games. To me, you've seen the Raptors be very, very cautious about older players and managing their games played. Perhaps not their minutes per game, but their actual games played. You haven't seen any of the older players take really a substantial amount of games on so far this season. In any type of injury, you've seen them take the most cautious route, which I think is the right the right path to take. Yeah, and, and think about it. What's the trade-off here? If you're asking yourself now in the the regular season, what's more important to you? A, a healthy Kawhi that doesn't necessarily play back-to-backs so he's fresh for the playoffs, or would you rather see Kawhi sort of push himself on back-to-backs and really, like, you know, exert his energy within the regular season and run the risk of being tired in the playoffs? To me... I'd rather take, you know, him fresh in the playoffs. I don't care if he doesn't play back-to-backs. Like, a lot of people have this concern about, oh, what happens if Kawhi doesn't play back-to-backs? Does that mean he's not healthy? No, I just think the Raptors are playing the long game. And like I said, if there's no doubt in my mind that last year, if this same scenario happened with Dwayne Casey last year, I think we'd already see Kyle Lowry play, and I think we'd see Kyle Lowry push himself. But I think the name of the game right here for the medical staff and the coaching staff is don't push. If you think that you need the rest, take the rest. It wouldn't surprise me at all if it's if it hasn't been announced already, if Kyle Lowry won't play against Chicago because I don't think the team needs him to play against Chicago. These games that you, you know, on paper that are very winnable games, let's not exert our our key main players and let them rest so they're fresh in the playoffs cuz th- again, the only thing that matters to me is their playoff performance. And if you have a fresh Kyle Lowry, a fresh Kawhi Leonard, a fresh Serge Ibaka, which I think is going to be imperative for this team's success in the playoffs, I think they can only go up. And I think that is what Raptors fans should be focused on right now. So you're not worried about Zach Levine and Chris Dunn? <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I, I really like Zach Levine, but no, I'm not worried about Chris Dunn at all. Not at all. Um, 
Lastly, I guess I just wanted to ask you is what do you expect to see from this team kind of moving forward that we haven't seen thus far? So what would you say is bound to be one of the things that will change for this team over the next couple of months? I think that you're going to see the chemistry develop and tighten uh, once the team is fully healthy. Um, and I think that is going to be very um, evident when people watch this team. Um, once Kyle Lowry's back on the floor, once he gets his legs underneath him, you're going to see that chemistry develop even more with Kawhi. And I think that's something that we haven't even seen yet, is that chemistry between Kyle and Kawhi. And I think that's going to be very crucial for this team's success. And moreover, I don't even think we've seen Kawhi at his full potential. For as good as he's been, I don't think we've seen him at his peak yet. Um, so... You know, moving forward, having time to develop chemistry, having time to just play more basketball with each other on this team. And once everyone's fully healthy, you have these not like as we mentioned, not set lineups, but sort of familiar lineups that the players can, you know, look at and say, Okay, I know how this person reacts when we do run this player or whatever. Like I'm I'm sort of just, you know, throwing stuff against the wall here, but I think chemistry is going to be the name of the game. And once you see that develop, this team is going to tighten and become way more deadly than we've seen at all at any point this season. Right. It's, you know, coming into the season, there was this big talk of how it's going to be an adjustment and it's going to take all this time to have these changes with one, a different coach to a different star player coming in. And in many ways, I thought the substitution of Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan was a little more simple than people were making it. It, to me, wasn't nearly as difficult as, say, the change that Boston was making where you're inserting high-volume players as opposed to replacing one with another. However, there was all this talk that it might take Toronto a while to kind of figure it out. And then they started off so hot that they almost changed the expectations for themselves during the regular season and in many ways were graded on a harsher scale because they were so successful early on. Right, right. And, and you know, like, let's not forget, right now, Kawhi has only played 28 games. That's it, just 28 games. And it, it, when you have such a limited amount of games to play, it's sort of, I don't know, I, for me, it's it's my go-to on that is he's just not there yet. And that's okay. Like, the, again, the Raptors are playing the long game here, and if they want to be successful, they have to rely on, you know, primarily Kawhi Leonard. I think he's the number one most important player on this team i think that goes without saying but I, I i i don't know i just think chemistry is huge for this team and once you see that chemistry develop specifically with kyle lowry and uh, Kawhi leonard i i just think you're going to see a lot of great things for this team moving forward and it's something i i've been noticing a little more explosion from Kawhi just slowly throughout the season and maybe it's anecdotal and i haven't looked into the numbers enough but it just feels like in moments when he's around traffic that he's dunking more in traffic as opposed to doing that kind of tough shoulder layup that he did early on in the season. And you just see a little more bounce than you saw from him early in the season. And I think you see a little bit more kind of intensity on the defensive end, which all both to me are signs of kind of settling into your role now that you're more comfortable playing basketball because he did take all that time off. Yeah, and you're absolutely right when it comes to the offensive end. The physicality has been you know, amped up a lot with Kawhi in recent uh, games. Uh, he's not afraid to body himself into the paint. He's not afraid to sort of draw contact and try to, you know, try to draw the foul. Although it's not really that called, I don't like to blame the refs, so whatever. But um, 
he's not he's becoming a lot more fearless on the offensive end and to me that was something that wasn't really prevalent uh in the beginning months uh sorry the beginning weeks of the season now he's sort of i don't know i just think he's becoming more confident and i don't want to say that the injury or the injury concern was on his mind but if it was it's definitely uh at much less of a degree now than it was at the beginning of the season and i think his physicality on offense speaks to that yeah, you talk about his physicality and his strength. You watched versus Orlando last night. There was times when he absolutely threw Aaron Gordon, who to me is a natural power forward, when he drove to the hoop and just lowered the shoulder and absolutely buried him underneath the hoop and was able to finish over top of him. And, you know, Aaron Gordon's not a, you know, fake three playing because he's actually a shooting guard like Will Barton or some of the more frail small forwards in the league. He's a guy who's a natural four, and you saw Kawhi Leonard just routinely push him out of the way in order to finish over top and around him. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, too, like, it, this is someone that isn't afraid to get down underneath and get dirty, right? He leads the team in total rebounds, and I know, like, that's sort of like a weird stat, total rebounds, because, like, a lot of rebounds on the offensive end are because of missed threes, but, again, defensive, he leads the team in defensive rebounds as well, which is really weird considering, you know, JV is – you know, an adequate rebounder on the defensive end, and Serge Ibaka is right behind him uh, with uh, 5.4 and 5.3, respectively. Kawhi's leading the team in, in, in rebounds, and in defensive rebounds, so he's not afraid to get underneath. He's not afraid to get physical, even on the defensive end, to sort of, I don't know, push the team into, like, these, these transitions and push the team and really carrying them, too. You see that often. You see that when they're down, even if the disparity is large or even when it's small you see him try to just carry the team and to create these the these baskets and to create these fouls and to draw the physicality into him he's not afraid to get physical and i think that is when you're going to start to see if this continues if this continues to trend up Kawhi is only going to get better and it's only going to benefit the team moving forward i'm totally with you uh one last thing that we do is we are recording this on saturday it will released Monday so a thing that me and Matt typically like to do is provide the post game for the Chicago Bulls game before <laughs> it actually happens so go ahead and give me your post game review of the Chicago game that has not happened yet uh I think that <laughs> okay uh Kawhi Leonard uh probably with a plus 30 point uh game and I think he's going to re I think the team is really going to feed him the ball for this game so I think he's going to uh, lead the team in offense. I think Danny Green is going to sort of rebound and splash a couple threes. Uh, and I think the fourth quarter is going to be, for the most part, incredibly, bo incredibly boring because the Raptors should just run away with this uh, late into the third quarter. And uh, I think fans are going to leave home happy. Yeah, a lot of Antonio Blakeney and a lot of Justin Holiday step-back jumpers, which... <laughs> isn't necessarily a good thing for your team. All right, Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything you want to plug here that you have coming out on South of Six? Uh, yeah, I, I just have a podcast talking about the Raptors on a weekly basis, southofthesix.com. Uh, we'll be recording another show tomorrow night, so it should be available on Monday morning for those that want to get their Raptors fixed. But uh, otherwise, Mike, I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, have a good New Year, man. Hopefully yeah, it's a good one. You too. Thanks for joining me. No problem.